Hola, hola. Welcome, everybody, to Season 3 of the Chicago Techies Podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago techies and their experiences. This season, we'll be hearing from seasoned entrepreneurs to rising stars making their mark. We'll dive into their triumphs, their challenges, and all their unique experiences that have shaped their journeys. I'm Sissy Fisher Benitez. Thanks for joining us. Ryan, uh, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. No, thank you. I'm I'm excited that you decided to come on. I actually, you know, usually start asking guests to share their name, their pronouns, uh, where they're from, and your current role. Perfect. Um, my name is Ryan Laffler. Um, uh, originally from Arizona, but uh, moved to Chicago in 2003. And I've been involved in the, the tech business um, for the first uh, six years of, of my career, working in the private industry, and then for the remainder um, as an entrepreneur in the tech space. That's awesome. I I like to go back usually to also your early 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 childhood. You know, like um, I, I like to ask everybody about themselves when they were growing up in the early years, pre high school or in high school revert back to what did you think you wanted to do back then? Like, what did you think you would become when you grew up? Um, I always had an active interest in uh, technology in general. Uh, my father was a, a captain uh, in the Air Force. So he, um, he was a, actually a navigator on a B-52 bomber. Um, so I was always interested in defense um, in general. And I knew that um, somehow uh, my career would parallel that um, in, in, in a, in a technical way. Right. So, um, I, I definitely had an interest in, in computers and computer science, um, in general and decided to pursue an engineering track there. Uh, my dad was always, uh, uh curious as to why I had computers and things like that in my room. <laughs> and then <laughs> at the time it was, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was right around the dot com boom as I was graduating high school. And so, uh, there was a general feeling uh, of just not really knowing where the technology in general was going to go, right? That was like the birth of the internet that was taking place. And so it was really hard to say, uh, you know, in, in, in general, it, at, the, at the time, the appliance, um, a computer was an appliance that, that kind of only the rich could afford. And we weren't rich. We were, we were a working class family. And so um, I, I would go get parts that, that were donated. Um, you know, and I and I would work on piecing them together, and then that that led to to local area networks, and and everybody kind of knows where that went with the internet. Um, so at at an early age, I was kind of piecing uh, local networks together, and in understanding um, how how they worked, and uh, that that really helped my knowledge set going into my career, um, to eventually into telecommunications, and then. This is more of uh, what, what we're doing lately is, is the quantum communication side. Yeah, I, I'm excited to touch on that more. But first, I, I, have, I, I always had this like huge admiration for curious people that like to put together things and put them like, you know, bring them together, take them apart and just just I, I could never imagine myself doing that when I was young. I also grew up in Mexico in like in, in a very rural area. Where I, I mean, I was there till I was in eighth grade. Um, so we didn't really, I didn't, I didn't even know what a computer was till I came here to eighth grade. So, you know, growing up, seeing, seeing just 
I'm assuming that for people that are seeing all this technology, that there would be a lot of curiosity. And if I was raised in a different place, I think I would have also be wanting to to pursue these new technologies and learn and take them apart and put them back together and whatnot. So absolutely, just, no. And, and and you know, it's such a difference um, just generationally because I feel like the latest generations are they're born integrating to this technology mm-hmm. right away, um, whereas you know our generation kind of had a soft ramp into that. We saw what yeah. the world was like before yeah. these, these general technologies were adopted. And now we see what the world is like, um, you know, with technology being a very, very integral part of our life. And, you know, these mm-hmm. computers that sat on desks in the late 90s um, are are vastly inferior to the cell phones oh, yeah. that are in the hands yeah. of the, the younger generations that are coming into the market today. And the impacts that that has, you know, on our daily lives, the tools that we have access to, the knowledge base that we have access to, um, being being ever connected, you know, not even just on social media, but from a business standpoint, and then that yeah. that going wireless and and no longer tethering us is um it, it's had very very interesting implications. For sure, I mean, I can't even imagine. So I have two year old twins. You know, I can't even imagine the type of technology we'll have once they turn twenty one. Um, because I, I mean, I vividly remember having two desktop computers in my eighth grade classroom and we all had to take turns for it. Um, and you know, we had those floppy disks that you could only literally save one thing at a time or one picture. Um, and, and now kids just have it so much better. They have like tablets in, in the classroom. They're learning from apps. Um, it's, it's wild. Um, but kind of going back to that theme of like early career days, like what was your college experience like? Did you go in for computer science or what I did, did you? I, I did... pursued an engineering track. So mm. so certifications were, were my interest. Um, I, I started doing some weighted classes um, that, that, were, that were integrated with college courses for, on the formal education path. Actually, late, late in high school, um, I was an academic decathlon. But as I started to see um, the traditional path, there there were there weren't a lot of things that aligned with me in formal education at all. Um, yeah. So uh, in the engineering tract, um, the Cisco and Juniper tract, and at the time there was a technology called Sonus that that's now rebranded. Um, you know, I pursued engineering tracts in in those technologies. Um, I, my my goal was to arm myself with knowledge to go out there and and get hands on right and. <clears throat> to innovate and make an impact in the areas that, that I saw fit. And, um, you know, it, it just in, in, in formal education in general, and it, it's, it's no knock. There's a lot of, of things that, that you, courses you take that are not applicable to the tracks mm-hmm. that you want to pursue. And, you know, I'm, I in working with me, you know, um, uh, anybody that does, I, I'm all about efficiency. You know, I want to, I want to harness, I want to focus on, things that that are are relevant to me right and yeah. the engineering track was was interesting because it was it was things that I could consume right and so um i early on in my career i i saw an advertisement in in the communication sector when i moved to chicago in 03 and it was for it was actually for verizon and it was it was for t1 systems right and um, I, I was on the wireless side of the business and I saw the T1 systems and, uh, and I applied for engineering services and support role with, with Verizon. Wow. 
and and um, actually was turned down because I didn't have tenure and I didn't have experience there. Yeah. And um, ended up going to work for a very small, um, I would a medium sized CLEC that was Chicago based um, lo- local exchange carrier um, business, and um, had just ended up having a front row seat into a very very entrepreneurial experience. Um, at the time when I joined the company, you know, it was a it was a thirty million dollar company. And I had the opportunity to watch um, that same group of guys, and and I was maybe employee number sixty, um, grow that business to a hundred and twenty million dollar company, and um, eventually um, that company got purchased. Uh, and you know that that's when I had my first experience saying, you know, um, uh, you you have a lot more control over your destiny on the ownership side of the fence, and that's what kind of led me to uh, an entrepreneurial background is that I'd have the ability to control my own destiny, to influence things and, and, um, to just, just like the education path, pursue things that I thought were, were relevant to me. And that, that's kind of just put me in straight line to, uh, to the entrepreneurial side. Yeah. I mean, from what you said about your, yourself, like early on when you were a, a, a child, you had that entrepreneurial spirit of, wanting to put together things apart and wanting to, you know, um, and that's on your timeline, you, you know, being an entrepreneur is obviously, there's a lot of benefits to that, but also challenges. Um, so on that topic, I'm curious, you said you also had your own, uh, company. Yeah. So, right? um, I, I've been, a, I've, I've been a part of, of a couple different companies on the ownership side. Um, mm-hmm. the, the first was a company called facility it group and it was me and, and one other partner, and we focused on, on critical infrastructures and communication systems, um, specifically geared towards the data center. And so we were uh, we were an owner's rep for American Power Conversion in a company called Liebert at the time, um, and and that was about a four year ride that we spent uh, growing that business. And eventually, it it turned into another separate business that was entirely telecommunications focused. It was a company called Facility. Uh, IT Telecom, and we shortened that. And we called it Fit Telco, and we had a had about 120 customers in in the Chicago and in Midwest areas, and it was purely purely consulting for uh, for technology companies. And then um, I ended up meeting up with another partner, and we chose to um, actually go in and take take the business focus. Um, uh, and, and, and turn it in and, and transition it from focusing on just consulting services to actually becoming a, a full board t- uh, tier one telecommunications company. And so with that, what we did is we focused on um, actually developing real infrastructure, not just um, on the consulting side, but to build real network. And um, that company was a company that uh, we called Coeo, C-O-E-O. And um, we eventually popped 39 states in the domestic United States. It was a Asanas and Juniper routing uh, infrastructure. Um, so we had a, a, a knock with technicians. Um, they're, they're still located in, uh, in Oak Brook today, uh, right there on, uh, oh. on Butterfield Road. Um, and they, they still operate. I, I sold my interest in the business in, uh, in two, 2019 um, to my partners there. And um, right around that time, um, got acquainted with uh, Tom Dockage, who was building a purpose-built uh, hyperscaler data center. 
in uh, the Northwest Indiana area. And he had a charter to, uh, to get his data center interconnected with the internet exchange uh, up at 350 CERMAC. And, and for, for anybody that's outside of the industry, um, 350 CERMAC, they basically call the heart of the internet in, in, um, in, the, in the United States. And it's one of the largest internet exchanges in the world, really. So anything you do, if you, if you have an iPhone in your hand or a computer in your desk, you're, you're touching servers that, that are in um, 350 CERMAC, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, even an internet search, you're touching 400 different servers across the United States in this thing that we call the cloud. And, and you know, the data center is really, it's the, it's the home of the internet. It's, it's, it's the cloud. And so without connectivity being completed from, from his data center and a fiber line communication system that would, that would interconnect to, to 350 CERMAC, um, we couldn't we couldn't fill this data center that he built with telecommunications companies, and so uh, really the the concept was that um, uh, if we could do that, then it, we would have more than just a powered shell in this hyperscaler data center that we constructed, um, and we would be able to bring some of the biggest technology companies in the world. We're still under NDA, so I can't disclose who those are, but <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of in the top 10 technology companies in the world, we were able to bring to that center and fill it. About two years in, um, we took on private equity and um, we realized that there was an opportunity with the fiber line systems that, that we built um, to go ahead and build a separate, a separate company out of it. And that was the birth of, of the quantum corridor. And yeah. we, there was a, it was a grant that we applied for. It was a $4.5 million grant with the state of Indiana. And we started looking about at next level optics equipment that we could bring and, and we could put onto the corridor. And so we applied for this grant and, and we won it. And, um, and that's where Tom and I took a full, a full bound into um, the quantum corridor and said, this thing is something that could really be real. Uh, around that time, we were talking to a company called Sienna, which is one of the leading uh, optics companies in, in the world, multi-billion dollar company, and a company called Converge One that's an integrator, also multi-billion dollar company. And there was a white paper that we came across that um, was talking about the first quantum key distributions that were sent in North America in a lab environment. And um, we really realized that, number one, this is where everything's going. You, you, we talked about that a little bit, but as, as we were coming on to this podcast, mm -hmm. huge implications for um, Department of Defense, huge implications mm -hmm. for higher education and research, huge implications for private and public sectors and, and, and large technology companies. And, um, you know, quantum, quantum comms and quantum compute in general are, are going to change um, the face of, of, of civilization really just as much as the internet, you know, we're, we're seeing this as, as very much seeing this as an internet 2.0. Yeah. Um, and so we're seeking with, with another technology company that I can't yet disclose, um, <laughs> to create what we're calling the first quantum internet, um, in, in, in the Western hemisphere. And so, yeah, and we'll, yeah. we'll touch that. Well, I'll ask a specific question about that, but for now, I mean, you, I, as you're sharing your career path, you know, to, to this, to this role that you have now, I was like, yep, 
I definitely see all this expertise for this role. Um, I can see how this career trajectory fits for you to be the, the president and CTO of the Quantum Corridor. So can you elaborate a little bit on your day-to-day operations and kind of what your responsibilities look like um, to make sure that you're contributing to the success of the company? Sure. Um, so I, I, as, a, as a founder and, 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 and president, my role is to piece all the pieces of the puzzle together, right? So um, we have, we our staff comprises of engineers, our staff comprises of sales, our, our staff is comprised of um, folks that handle the grant side of the business, political side of the business, mm-hmm. and in all aspects of technology. So my focus is um, making sure that that everybody fits together in the organization and, and we're going out and, and also, um, it's 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 interesting because people people will use the term you know fearless leader when you look at when you look at that it, it I wouldn't I wouldn't say uh, it's fearless leader at all I would say that you know as a as an owner and operator in in the company you have to look at everything you have to be I wouldn't call it fearful but but analytical right you have to um, look at market threats to the business you have to look at market direction for the business and so um, you you. You know, Elon Musk, for example, called it, you know, like being an entrepreneur is kind of like looking into the abyss and eating glass, right? You're looking into the abyss <laughs> yeah. because you you see a vision that, that not a lot of people see. You, you, you believe in that vision, but then also you're eating glass because it's painful. <laughs> you, 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 um, you know, you, you, you go through twists and turns that the business takes and, and the risks the risks and the consequences of failure are very real. And so you have to, you have to believe in yourself um, to a certain extent, you know, you have to see ahead and you have to, you have to lead people and, and you have to empower your team and surround yourself with people that are better than you to help accomplish those objectives. And then as the chief technology officer of the company, um, my objective is to make sure integrations happen. So we're dealing with a, a myriad of different technology platforms um, in our company. And we have to make sure that those platforms have integration, right? And and um, at the end of the day, come together in a cohesive way to move the, tech, uh, the company forward. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I feel like, you know, from my experience working with founders or even in my previous roles, you know, having conversations with CTOs, even with the CEO, I feel that being able to communicate that vision is incredibly important because you're all working together towards one toward a goal. And if there is no alignment, that could come down really quick. Um, and I've seen that happen. I, I, I've experienced it. I'm sure that it comes with a lot of challenges, you know, being a leader as well. So what what are some of the specific challenges that you've encountered in in managing this pathway? You know, this 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 company and what strategic design do you implement for like for this quantum corridor network what's vision like there's there's market adoption there's reacting like your speed to react your speed to be ahead of market and your speed to react to market Mm -hmm. are are really really crucial to the business so it's identifying you know your pillars like um where do you see things going in general you know so it's like a very specific example would be um you know we we had to make a decision, you know, are we going to be a traditional communications company or we, are we going to be a quantum communications company? And, 
you know, those, those are two very different things. Those are two distinctly different, um, uh, industries that, that we're supporting, that we're looking at. And, you know, this, this industry quantum is, is tip of the spear in terms of, of technology in general. And, um, you know, it's, it's really big, um, with research, research, um, and development and, and research and education. Um, just because it's so new and, and the concepts are so new that um, there, there's a lot of areas that are unseen about where, you know, this technology in general is, is going to go um, in, yeah. in that sense. Um, but then also there's real ways that it adopts to things that we are doing now. You know, for example, um, you know, AI learning, right? Um, for example, defense. Because, um, you know, Department of the Defense is, is very much interested in post-quantum cryptography concepts for national security, right? And so then it moves to the second piece of that, um, that that I was talking about, which is reacting to, to the market. So we have to have vision in putting ourselves in the right place at the right time, but we also have to react to the, the rest of the people that are in this industry and the companies that are in this industry to be able to integrate and, and being able to be a collaborator uh, also with the research institutions that are backing this and, and make sure that we're relevant, right? So it's a constant struggle to, um, to stay on top of your game from that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this type of technology is, is furthering advances everywhere in technology and, and has the potential to broaden this economic development um, in, in Indiana, in Illinois, just overall in the Midwest. I, there's a huge area of opportunity. And I think that's why, um, I mean, I, I'm not an expert here. I just learned about this stuff. But I, but I, I mean, I see why the government is, is, um, is investing in these in this area in this technology. I want to talk about this kind of in, you know innovation. So I, I did see some of the press around you, the uh, the quantum corridor uh, that you all reached a certain milestone within the fiber network. So can you tell me a little bit more about that um, in in testing you know all the the most secure fiber optic network in in the hemisphere? So I'm, I'm in the Western Hemisphere. So can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um so the basis of our technology is a technology called reconfigurable line system co coherent optics. And so that's a, it's a really fancy way of saying that we're pushing these optics, these lasers over fiber. So just to give you a brief history on, on, you know, communications in general and where the industry is going, everybody remembers the days of when you had modulated sound exchanging information. You know, if you, if you remember, you know, your dial up connections and, you know, your mom hey, well. pick, up, <laughs> pick up the phone and you, you, you yep. hear the frequencies, you know, that was that was real information that was that's being exchanged. Um, you know, the, the, the problem with that is that, um, you know, it was not secure in a sense that, you know, even somebody could pick up the phone and <laughs> hear the transmissions. Yeah. And then you're going through every public switch telephone network, you know, uh, you know, overall that switching infrastructure and, you know, all that was vulnerable and, and, and susceptible to um, interception. And, so the evolution of that moved eventually to what they called point-to-point um, -point systems or, or private line communication, where you would develop a um, almost a, a dedicated technology path, whether it was fiber, glass, or, or copper, that would go from one point to another, and then you would exchange information in a dedicated fashion between point A and point Z, right? And that that's seen evolutions, as I've said, it, it, it moved from 
from copper where you were you were modulating sound, eventually to glass where you were using light that travels faster than the speed of sound to exchange that information with blinking lasers, right? And um, so what what our technology does and the reason that it's different is number one, we're following that same path where we're creating these dedicated channels where uh, at no point does our technology um, overlap with another customer's technology. When we create a dedicated instance of laser that's being shot over glass, it's, it's literally not touching another dedicated customer instance, nor is it going over the public internet. So that's number one. Number two is that it is, um, it is all American made, I'm sorry, North American origin point made, um, uh, glass and optics and electronics. So you, everybody's familiar with kind of that Huawei breach that happened and some of the leaks that even, um, Sony entertainment saw, you know, in, 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 uh, in 20, I think it was 2018, 2019. We can, we can check that. Um, but everybody's familiar with, with what those breaches kind of meant and, and DDoS attacks and some of those things that were going on, um, you know, really gave way to, um, you know, what chips and science act is, is strong on, um, and, and also a, a thing called TAA compliance that's used by the department of defense that is all about a North American origin point of electronics to make sure that we don't have, um, software breaches. That, that are innate in, in some of these switches when they're programmed. So that's number two. And then number three is reconfigurable line system creates on wave servers, these dedicated instances that they push um, what's called quantum key distribution or QKD um, technology. And so you have entangled photons that are teleporting part of this information between point A and point Z in a very secure fashion. and then part of that is using this underlying technology that we create with optics to support and, and be the backbone and, and truth some check for those transmissions. So it's a very, very secure proprietary way where we're enabling QKD on our network for research, defense, private and public sector. Yeah, that's, that's what kind of caught my eye. I didn't realize, you know, like that this technology positions indiana and, and and chicago you know the midwest to be a leading hub for quantum capabilities like they they are able to create this secure connection opportunities like you said for corporate for defense for educational platforms across the state and literally the entire country so that's a big deal and i didn't really and i don't think regular people like me walking down the street know about this um so i i i make sure i wanted to to ask about this because it sounds like it's uh, a great opportunity for even uh, attracting investments uh, in job opportunities for, you know, for this area, for uh, particularly in the fields of quantum research and development and commercialization. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of, a lot of good things coming from this. So. The implication, if we don't get on top of this uh, as a nation, um, are huge. It's, it's a national security issue um, because, uh, you know, he who, he who, it unlocks this, you know, he who cracks the code to quantum compute and quantum comms rules the world, right? And the implications are, are huge for the defense sector. I mean, if you envision, you know, all the levels of encryption we, we have around national security, you almost have this technology arms race that's happening, right? I mean, every government 
um, foreign interests from Russians to Chinese, Japanese are um, really, really focusing on, um, you know, securing their systems from from a quantum perspective, because um, quantum compute in general and quantum comms don't just achieve solving these algorithms through rapid trial and error. Um, You know, one way through the maze at a time. Um, quantum compute and quantum comms explore every possibility instantaneously. And so you could have an algorithm that, you know, would take, you know, 21 years to unlock, unlocked in seconds with quantum compute and quantum communications. And so it's not just financial systems. It's not, you know, we're talking about implications for um, national security, nuclear codes, Um, you know, it, any, anything could be breached. And in a world where we're, we're interconnected, you know, that's the implications are, are things that we might not even be able to think about right now. And so there's a very, very real um, race. There's a lot of government money, as you had mentioned. There's a lot of grants out there um, that, that are th- this money is all being pushed to development of this technology so that we can we can maintain our superiority from a national um national defense perspective yeah and you know as you're speaking and sharing all this i'm part of my brain goes directly to why is the government focusing on tech like why are we talking about these days like you know we we have bigger things to worry about but that's another story for another day. So um, I'm curious about any, if you're able to share, because I know you all probably operate under a lot of NDA agreements and whatnot, but if, if there are any, any innovating uh, projects that you're currently working on um, as we plan for this future, you know, of, of quantum computing. I can talk about it in general. Um, so the, the, the research institutions individually, I can't yet name. Um, mm-hmm. But what I, what I can tell you is, um, we right now we have 172 miles of dark fiber that's in place that links the heart of the Chicago heart of Chicago all the way to the Ohio state line. Um, number one, I can also tell you that um, we're interconnected from from 350 CERMAC, the heart of Chicago, across state line to a data center at 100 Digital Crossroad that um, where we have been able to send 40 terabits of bandwidth, which is almost it's almost unfathomable uh, right um a bandwidth across state line so i mean just to put that in perspective you know um you could you could transfer the entire library of congress um you know from an imaging perspective in in three seconds right you um the latencies that we've achieved are 500 times faster than a blink of an eye for for the transfer of this information and, um, you know, what we're focused on is, is connecting all the major research institutions and engineering institutions along this corridor um, and, and, and putting them onto our network. Um, and then there's an initiative to build south for research institutions that go um, that are downstate in Indiana mm-hmm. um, and, and also um, other other uh, defense installations along that corridor as well. What we want to do is we want to create um, a higher education research corridor. Um, we want to create a defense corridor. But then in addition to that, we also want to prop up commercialization of quantum because there's so many, there's so much focus and emphasis on research and development. 
where the rubber meets the road is, is on the commercial aspect and the adoption of this technology in the market. So um, what we want to do is we want to create centers, commercialization centers along this corridor where we can talk to real private and public sector companies that want to go in and create jobs and, and create opportunity and offer certifications and also prop up research and broadcast stations so that these research institutions can go and these students can go work in these facilities along the corridor. And we can understand, you know, where this is going, but we can also bring this out to the local communities for these next level concepts. If you think about AI and, and autonomous vehicles, remote agriculture, education in general, you know, think about how dependent we were on, mm-hmm. on technology during the pandemic. You know, all the evolution of the market will depend on platforms like this, right? We're not talking about um, even us doing this video call over traditional traditional communication systems. We're talking about, you know, modeling, uh, hypersonics to, um, to AI learning where you're, tra- you're, you're sending huge chunks of information. And traditionally, these research institutions would have to stop their supercompute clusters, literally pause them because they'd have to transmit the information from point A to point Z. Um, yeah. you know, imagine if these institutions were connected in real time and they didn't have to pause and they could transmit all this information so that these clusters could connect, um, how much more efficient we would be in, in every vertical across every industry. That, that's the type of implications that this has. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I, I, I didn't mention this, but I'm also part of um, the Cook County Council on Digital Equity. Um, so there is this this code, um, this code organization by the Office of President uh, Preprinkle, and we meet quarterly with other leaders, with other, uh, you know, folks that are in, in telecommunications, that are in broadband, that are in um schools so there's a gr- there's there's definitely efforts in place to make sure that all this technology that's popping up all this technology that we could leverage all these things that are happening are also happening with an equity lens so i i love that there is a huge opportunity for um for students you know for supporting students for supporting people for supporting job opportunities so i think this is all it, it's all connected right um so i i love that this is becoming something that we could leverage for like the betterment of, of the state of the Midwest. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's incredible opportunity. If you look at what happened with, uh, with, with Silicon Valley, for example, like the first Pritzker, Pritzker talks about this. I mean, the first browser, the first internet browser was a, was a browser called Mosaic that, that we lost to Silicon Valley because the Midwest couldn't adopt and react fast enough. Um, there's been many, many other technology companies that we've lost to Silicon Valley because <laughs> we cultivated we've cultivated these technology companies here, but yeah. we couldn't provide the resources to to retain them, right? Yeah. And so, if you look at quantum in general as a technology, we have incredible resources and we have incredible underutilized assets. Number one, we've got access to fresh water, right? Number two, we have incredible uh, underutilized military assets that are in the Midwest. Number three, um, we're incredibly secure because we, these facilities are not on coastlines where they can, they can easily be intercepted. Mm -hmm. Um, Number four, we have incredible research institutions. um, A few of them that I won't name 
that are highly focused on quantum and they're receiving tons of grant money to foster this culture. Um, and then lastly, you know, we're not susceptible to, um, we're not as susceptible to seismic activity like the coast line, the West coast specifically, right? A lot of, a lot of, um, uh, this quantum equipment is highly sensitive to calibration issues and seismic activity, uh, can greatly affect the calibration of this equipment. And so, uh, we believe that we, we have a, a, a very, very ripe atmosphere to cult, to cultivate and create uh, a Silicon Valley 2.0 in the Midwest here and revolutionize industry, um, especially across South side of Chicago and Northwest Indiana where it's been kind of seen as that manufacturing industrial rust belt, we have a chance to go in and change the narrative and, and create a technology revival in these regions. And you're so right. I mean, when you talk about digital equity, you talk about workforce development, this is an opportunity to put technology in the hands of these communities, not to give them second best, not even to put them on par, but to give them something that's a leading edge and, and to create a talent pool out here and single-handedly change lives. We're very, very excited about that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see all the work that's coming, all the things that are happening. So, uh, But to wrap up, I'm, I'm just, you know, I normally ask a guest to share a piece of advice uh, with anyone that's interested in, in, in joining this, this, your efforts, you know, quantum computing, or even just if they're curious about telecommunications, like the industry, uh, starting their own ventures, like what, what advice can you offer? Well, first of all, hands on, you know, start doing what I did, you know, start working on this technology as you can get a hold of it. Uh, number two, um, take a look at the workforce development programs that are out there. I mean, a lot of these local colleges, um, are starting to work on integration in the community and in real job training and, and income's not a barrier. You know, there's there's grant programs that are out there that are absolutely fantastic that we could help to put you on a path where you could explore this and and certification route. You know, you you do not have to have a formal education to to get involved in this. But there's certification routes that you can go to um, to plug in and be hands on this technology. Um, mm -hmm. Follow your heart. Like you know, it's it's not about making money. Like if you if you pursue your passion. Um, the money will follow. And even if it doesn't, you're probably still going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that one. <laughs> um, and now for anyone or any folks that might be interested in getting in touch with you, is there a way that they can reach you? Absolutely. Um, so we'll leave the contact info um, out yeah. there with Purpose Brands and make sure that funnels through the right um, channels and, and we can be put in contact, um, whether it's, it's folks that are trying to get engaged from a career perspective, whether it's, um, investment opportunity and we'll, um, we'll set those conversations up. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also can add, uh, if, if you're maybe your LinkedIn, if you have one or anything on the show notes, so happy to share all that information too on the, on the episode itself. But anyway, thank you. This was a pleasure. It was a great conversation. I learned so much again in like the next in the last 30 minutes, right? That I ever did in college. 
maybe not, but almost. <laughs> um, thank you again, and I hope that you have a good rest of your week. Uh, and thank you so much for uh, for the work that you're doing. I'm excited to to keep in touch. Okay. Th- thanks for having me on the show yeah. here. It was a pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, follow up in future discussions. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Great meeting. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies Podcast. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on social media. We are at Chicago Techies on all social media platforms. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.